This is a Live Women Authors of Achievement podcast, episode 74, with guest Dr. Nakima Steffelbauer. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daria Savorova, and welcome to today's conversation. Dr. Nakima Steffelbauer is a software delivery expert with over 15 years of experience leading corporate digital transformations in the U.S. and Europe. She is the Director of Digital Client Services at Ergo and founder and CEO of Fraunloop, a Berlin-based nonprofit computer programming network for women. Among Fraunloop's graduates are many women with migration background, working mothers, and women who never previously considered working in tech. Today, Nakima and I speak about financial independence. According to the Gender Pension Gap Report, women receive on average almost 60% less pension than men. In this episode, I ask Nakima about how women can build financial independence and protect themselves from poverty in post-retirement years. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate it on Spotify, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or simply share it with a friend. Thank you. Awesome. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. So maybe once again, my name is Darius Water. I'm the founder and host of Women Authors of Achievement podcast. It's a Berlin-based podcast where I interview amazing women creators, innovators, founders, really fantastic women that are shaping and building the city of Berlin. And it's a pleasure to record this episode live here at the Republica. And afterwards, the show will be released on the podcast itself, so you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or WA.Berlin to listen to it again or share it with your friends. Today, my very special guest is Nakima Steffelbauer. She's the founder and CEO of Fraunloop, a Berlin-based nonprofit computer programming network for EU resident, immigrant, and refugee women. She's also division director at Ergo. And this is a, such a great opportunity for us to talk about financial dependence and how women can protect themselves from poverty, the post-retirement years. So let's get into it. Nakima, it's a great pleasure to record this episode with you live at Republica Festival for Digital Society in Berlin. This year's theme of the festival is cash, and I cannot think of a better topic for the live podcast. So thank you so much for joining me for this conversation on stage. Thank you for having me. You are a software delivery expert with over 15 years of experience leading corporate digital transformation in the US and Europe. So my first question to you, how you got into the tech in the first place? I got into tech really because immediately after grad school, I was working for corporate strategy, employee research firm, where we had basically email and that was it. We had no technological surveys. We didn't do anything digitally. And I frankly got sick of listening to the CEO of that firm pontificate about how, you know, nothing would ever be done online. Surveys would never be done online. Nobody needed to inform themselves about anything online. And in the meantime, you know, Fast Company magazine had covers called the brand called you and how you needed to digitally empower yourself. So I really wanted to make the leap. And I did. And I basically found a role in software project management in the e-learning sector because I had spent such a long time in academia, in grad school, that I felt like this was something I understood very well. Pretty amazing. I also read that you went to live in Cairo for a year between university and graduate school. You worked in the tech industry without any contacts or mentors in the field at the beginning. You moved your whole family to Berlin. I mean, there are major decisions you did and made in your life. What did you look at when you were making those decisions in your life? I think more than anything, I looked at all of those risks as calculated risks. I looked at them 
as risks that I was taking short term in pursuit of a longer term goal. So, you know, when you talk about moving to Germany from the US uh, 10 years ago, this was a massive risk in the sense that ultimately I ended up taking more than a 50% pay cut in order to work in Germany at the level that I was working in the US, but not getting the pay that I was getting in the US. And the risk calculation I made was, do I want to continue to live in a situation where, you know, $250,000, $300,000 a year is kind of the minimum that's needed in a major city to raise a family and to have, you know, the kind of lifestyle that I was used to? Or would I rather, you know, take a short-term major pay decrease and then be able to work my way back up to a better quality of life, a much lower cost of living, and a lifestyle that I felt was, you know, that merited taking some risks. And maybe you can elaborate more on your perception of risk and where that comes from. I think that a big part of it is being an immigrant, being a child of immigrants. Both my parents immigrated to the U.S. from Jamaica and from Panama. And I think that immigrants categorically have a different understanding of risk because, you know, they're interested in giving up the security of their home situation for a more unknown situation where they're going to be able to live better, do better, earn better. So, you know, I think that heavily influences my idea of risk in the sense that, you know, it's, it's rare to find immigrants, myself included, who believe that, you know, they don't want to change anything about their current situation except to somehow improve it without, without changing anything, without risking anything. So that's where I think a lot of my idea of calculating risk comes from. You also mentioned that a lot of your professional journey involved adapting to and learning new cultures. And what I found very curious that what you've taken on professionally comes from your experience in living in Middle Eastern communities, where you saw people take care of each other in a way you hadn't seen in the US. And I thought, this is quite an interesting thought, and I would love to hear you elaborate on that. Sure. Um, when I lived in Egypt for the year, between college and grad school, pretty much everywhere. I lived in the Middle East, in Tunisia, in Morocco, in Syria, and in Lebanon. I felt like there were obvious downsides to having a family, extended family, and living in a very family-oriented, community-oriented environment. But I definitely felt like as a teenager, when I started in my 20s, by the time I finished living in, in Beirut, I felt like there was the possibility to build a community that I hadn't seen in North America, that I really appreciated in the sense that I was somebody who was moving to those different countries looking for a way out of the social and the economic sort of status and grouping that I'd been born into. And that was something that I felt Middle Eastern culture really offered at the time, you know, and really uh, facilitated this idea that you can build your community, you can find your people, and that you will be taken care of within the context of a more community-oriented culture. Do you think that inspired you to start the Frauen Loop? Absolutely. I was losing my mind when I moved. <laughs> and, I, and I was only connecting with women over, you know, my kid's school or, you know, superficial connections that didn't really lead to the kind of support, that didn't lead to the kind of sharing, that didn't lead to the kind of professional interactions that I wanted to have. So absolutely a big part of Frauen Loop was me looking around and realizing the few women that I did know professionally were all working in tech and the women that were not working in tech needed to be encouraged to join somehow. 
And why not use Frauenloop to do that? So tell me more about Frauenloop and why do you encourage women to enter tech? First and foremost, I think of it as an industry that's gone through a lot of change, you know, since the early days when it was this learning opportunity for everyone who was either technical or non-technical, but was interested in building a different experience for the public. I feel like it's something that is intrinsic to so much of the way that we live today, you know, digital experiences, online experiences. And I feel like what I did with Frauenloop was to create an environment in which women would be able to meet other women, engage in learning, a process of learning in an intensive way that would remove a lot of the barriers that women typically experience between nationality or native language or whatever it is. You know, most of the women are not native speakers of English. Everything is done in English. So there are no natural advantages or practically none between learners. And everyone is in a position where there's no point to compete. There's no point to one up each other. We're not learning programming in the company of men in for the benefit of men. You know, we're doing this as something that really makes real the potential that we have to help each other and to support each other and to empower each other. So that's why not only web development, which is where we started, but also data analytics, test automation, test engineering, Smart. and data science or machine learning for AI development is what we now teach. Love it. I mean, the question to the room, I'm curious, like how many of you are working in tech? And the ones that are not, are you interested in exploring it and finding jobs in tech? Okay, there's interest. <laughs> so maybe you need to talk to Nakimo and learn about Found Loop. But let's get into the core of today's conversation on financial independence. And before we, you know, we go into, okay, what should you do? How should you approach the topic? What steps you should undertake to build your financial independence? First, what does financial independence mean to you, Nakima? Principally, it means autonomy. I think that it's important to consider autonomy as being an adult. You know, that's a big part of adulthood is independence from partners, from banks, and from your parents. So autonomy to make decisions on your own behalf and to take responsibility for them, particularly when it comes to financial responsibility, is a big part of independence and being independent. Do you think there's a big problem around financial independence and women being financially dependent today in Germany? Absolutely. It's a huge problem. Beyond the figure that was cited about some 60% of women in Germany retiring with insufficient funds to live their lives comfortably, there's also major problems when it comes to the perception of women and work. There are far too many women that I know personally who struggle to get an understanding and an orientation around investment, financial management, long-term planning. And that makes a full circle when you look at how women manage their careers. Right. I do feel like there is lack of conversations around it. And also I feel, at least in Berlin, a lot of women especially are uncomfortable about talking about finances, financial independence, even sharing visibility on salaries, on the salary bands and information like this. Do you think sharing the transparency would help people to feel more confident? Absolutely. I think it's exactly the same as with technology. I think there's a lot to be said for maintaining secrecy if you want to create the appearance of 
elitism and super intelligence. And that's one of the reasons it's incredibly difficult to get information about how technology works or how even artificial intelligence works these days. The financial secrecy is again something I work actively within Frauenlub to combat because, you know, it serves no one, um, least of all women, when we don't know what we don't know about the markets that we're working in and the salaries that anyone is being paid in our industries. Right. And I have a quote from you, which was interesting that, I mean, you kind of blame social media for focusing too much on appearance and not substance. Can you elaborate on that? I think that it's partly social media and the quote that I gave you, yeah. but it's partly also cultural. There's a definite cultural stigma in Germany in particular against women working really at any point in time. I have friends who've looked for work in tech, adjacent to tech, and have difficulty finding work because they're in their 30s. And this is a known signal, apparently, to many employers that, you know, you could choose to have children. So until and unless this uh, one friend in particular listed on her CV and on her online profiles that she was child-free and she was a member of a child-free community, then all of a sudden she started getting interviews. This is a lot about the kind of unspoken barriers that all women face. There are major problems with ageism. Nobody talks about that. Ageism is something that you can get unconsciously, you know, involved in just by listing information about your family status. This is another, you know, I think, horrifying habit that is typical in Germany of listing when you go on maternity leave, how long you're on maternity leave for. This has absolutely no bearing on your professional capabilities except to invite people to discriminate against you. And yet it's just kind of a cultural standard. And then above and beyond what you list and what you do in terms of career or family status, you have the problem of not planning for how to engage with the job market if you do take a leave of absence, whether to take care of family, whether to take care of children. And then you've got the cultural judgments that a lot of women face based on it being seen as somehow less than. If you have a career and you take it seriously after having children who somebody has to take care of. Right. So we have kind of the problem is twofold. We have the cultural situation that doesn't foster financial independence. It kind of puts certain prejudice on the behavior and decisions women have to make at certain time of their life. And the second part is your own decision. I mean, at the end of the day, it's you and you being proactive to ask for a raise, for building your financial independence. It's taking proactive lead to make your financial independence happen. Do you think that many women are like taking this topic way too easily and having a very passive approach? I think that most women do not have an understanding of investment as it pertains to financial investment or as it pertains to career investment. I think that probably we've all heard something about compounding interest and how important it is to invest early. And, you know, if you have disposable income, start looking at the stock market, start looking at real estate so that you can see your investment grow through compounded interest over time. And part of what try through our workshops, our professional intensives with Frauenlupers to show is that, you know, investing in your own income in terms of your salary and the salary that you negotiate is in of itself something that compounds over time. And if you don't negotiate to get the absolute best compensation you can get for the skills that you bring to market, then that gap 
compounds over time. And that's how you very often find women who get to the end of their careers and there's a huge gap between what they earn, what they have to look forward to, and what someone else who's been negotiating the highest possible salary at every level of their career is able to enjoy. So I think that compounding interest kind of approach and looking at your salary as something that's not you know, uncomfortable or vulgar to talk about, but rather as something that you need to research in the same way that you would research any investment. You know, this is an investment that's probably the most important one that you're going to make. So that's something that I think is really important. Another thing that's really important is, as I mentioned, this, this privacy aspect of getting familiar with the basics of digital existence. Everybody Googles everybody, right? So there's frequent reaction that I reach from, from women who I'll ask about what their professional profile looks like or what they want it to be and come to find out they've never Googled themselves. They Google themselves at workshops at Frauenhoek. They're surprised to find that maybe the information about their skills and their abilities is not what leads. What leads is references to their children or their, you know, mommying activities. These are not things that help you. These are not things that help you to look more professional, to earn more, or to reestablish yourself if you ever take a leave of absence from the workforce. So it's really important to start getting at least the basics of how do you take control of your professional online persona? How do you privatize your images? This is something I've written long tweets about in terms of cloaking. They're cloaking uh, free software called Fox, F-A-W-K-E-S, that you can download and use so that all of your photos are protected from being used in online search engines, online algorithms. And you start to just control what the message is that you put out in the world about yourself. Remove maternity leaves or you know various personal leaves from your online profiles if that's not what you want potential employers to find when they Google you. So basically, private life have to stay private? Private life is private. Family life is family life. It's private. And I would go so far as to say, you know, look into your photographs and your emails. You know, does your email address instantly give away your date of birth? It shouldn't. So mm. anything else that can be derived from things like innocuous online identifiers remove. Okay, that's very interesting. It, but it almost more sounds like signaling. It's about sending the right signal and positioning yourself in a certain way to get where you want to be. Absolutely. But this is a known issue. I mean, we're not talking about individually meeting individuals and discussing your capabilities in order to get into positions in tech or in any other area. We're talking about a system that prioritizes and rewards men on a much more typical basis than it does women for the same work. So we have to play the same game. So if you want to play the same game, then you have to be visible in the same way, which is purely professional. Okay. Slightly business. I love it. <laughs> Everyone is like changing their social profiles quickly, head of the division, you know, sounding very bossy and assertive. But I love that perspective. That's very honest. And we have a lot of women in the room today. We also have a lot of men, and I'm sure those men have girlfriends, daughters, mothers. What other advice... And what things they should do today or they should advise to their family or they should advise or they should take on themselves as women to take on today to prevent experiencing even a slight chance of facing poverty in the post-retirement age, given the current economic situation also that we're experiencing today. First and foremost, it's figure out what 
you earn, figure out what you spend, and figure out where you spend from. When I was starting out in New York, I was lucky enough to have an accountant who used to be the head of the New York City Accounting Association, and he told me the only thing you need to know about managing your money, whether you have tons, whether you have very little, is how much do you spend and where do you spend it from. So keep receipts for a month and literally get paper receipts, staple them to a piece of paper, and at the end of the month, look at what you spent on superfluous items, what you spent on taxis, what you spent on whatever you spend your money on, and then figure out what you need to spend, figure out what you like to spend, and also figure out you know, if you're spending money in your pocket that you have, or if you're spending money on credit cards or Klarna or whatever it is that you don't have because that's how you can try to make changes and that's how you can move forward with a plan for how you want to spend any money that you come into later on. Other points? Uh, other, yeah. <laughs> another, another important thing to keep in mind is just whether or not you realize anything about the stock market, anything about mutual funds, about individual investments. It's not that complicated. A lot of the best stock pickers are guessing that's the first thing. The second thing is that Warren Buffett, who a lot of investors like to quote, tends to tell people, invest in what you know. This is the same as what you hear if you become uh, creative and you're writing, write what you know. If you do the research, basic research, free online research about whatever industry it is that interests you, service industry, dentistry, whatever it is, you can find companies that focus on, that provide information about that provide services to those industries. And just by finding funds listed on the DAX, basic index tagged funds that contain a cross section of different companies, and you just start small. You start with wherever you are, but you start small and you start early. And you invest in some index funds that are not forcing you to you know, tie your fate to one company. This is a huge risk. You don't want to start there. But you start small and you kind of grow your tolerance over time and diversify, diversify, diversify. So you start with funds in the services industry. You move into general tech index funds. You move, you move, you move. And you kind of grow your tolerance for the risk that is going to happen over time when the market drops or the market rises. And you basically become more familiar with whatever it is that interests you through your own research and through your own investments so that you no longer have to feel intimidated by usually men who are telling you what their grand plan is for investment and becoming billionaires. That's the biggest tip I can give. That's what's worked for me. That's amazing. And we're coming shortly to the end of our conversation, unfortunately. I was like, what are the next tips? <laughs> but if you want to talk to Nakim afterwards and ask her questions, definitely after the session, find her. We're going to be somewhere here. But maybe the last to the last question is, Nakima, back to you. What's you currently most excited about? I'm most excited about the, honestly, the EU AI Act. I've been part of a lot of conversations with lawmakers in Brussels who are trying to build the best and most comprehensive legislation that they can. The panel that I did a few weeks ago was discussing just what this legislation means for companies large and small that are trying to use artificial intelligence algorithms in their products. What it means is that not only is there going to be a lot more governance that needs to be navigated, but there are going to be a lot more jobs for all of the people who are not necessarily writing code and not necessarily leading the business decisions of the company to figure out how to adapt 
the products and services to the legislation that guides what AI looks like in Europe. So this is extremely exciting, and it should be exciting for anybody who is technically savvy or not, who wants to be part of a growing industry that is going to create jobs that are really interesting for the future. I love it. You're always up to speed with the latest news and innovation. So you have your hand on the grip on the pulse, right? So this brings me to the last question. And actually, at the beginning, I didn't ask into the audience, but does anybody is a listener of WA podcast? No, there's no listeners. Okay, well, I hope you become one. So that was always interesting because sometimes you get to see handful of hands or sometimes it's half the of the audience but the last question usually on my podcast and it has been consistent with all my guests with now 70 guests on the show the last question is always about who is my guest woman author of achievement and the reason for that is I see women being authors of their own achievements and creations in their own way and success and achievement is defined in their own way it can be big or small It does not matter. What matters if you feel you're taking a proactive action and you're moving the needle forward. So, Nakima, what is your woman author of achievement? What woman do I believe has made decisions and choices that... It's up to you. I would have to say really old and a really good friend of mine, May Abdelmanam, who I recently wrote a long Twitter thread about our relationship and that thread went viral, first time ever. And this is a friend that I made when I lived in, in Egypt, who I've stayed in touch with, even though she moved after her wedding to Khartoum in Sudan, um, met her several times in, in Europe, visited her in Khartoum, and now she's back based on the situation in Sudan in Cairo. But she's a woman that I've always admired. She has three kids. She runs an international business. She's been to China. She's been to Japan. She's been all over the world. And she is a single mom. She's a widow. And nothing seems to stop her. And nothing seems to, nowhere seems to be uncomfortable for her. She's at home wherever she is. And she's just a badass person who is definitely my woman author of achievement. I love it. I hope she will be listening to this episode. I do when it's released. Perfect. Thank you so much for your input, Nakima, and for being on the show. I love hearing your perspective on financial independence, and I feel you gave such a substantial tips on how one can act today to prevent themselves from being not financially dependent in the post-retirement age. So thank you so much for sharing your tips. And I believe you're a thought leader on Twitter. So that's probably the go-to place to read on other recommendations you have and to learn uh, what you have in mind. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. And thank you so much for listening, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.